May I just invite you to listen for a moment really carefully to how the poet in Psalm 19 celebrates the law of God. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. And moreover, by them is thy servant warned and in keeping of them. There is a great reward. Not an, not a breath of negativity. When this poet celebrates the law of God. Is that how I and you think about the law? As a positive, as a beautiful, as a gift, as an as something that rejoices, that enlightens, that, that makes us feel joyful. Well, if that's not how you experience that law of God, then that is a clear sign that you still are in the kingdom of darkness, my friends. It is one of the signs of the regenerate that they begin to love the law of God. And one of the signs of the unregenerate, that they will do the things of the law as long as it convenience is done. Now that's how far it goes. There is no love. And what's interesting about the word law in the Hebrew, it's the word Torah. And usually in the Bible we refer to the law thinking about the Ten Commandments, right? That's the Torah indeed. But actually the word Torah in the Hebrew applies to all five books of Moses, not just the Ten Commandments. The word law or Torah in the Hebrew has nothing to do with rules as a narrow interpretation of it. We do that, right? Law as rules. But the word Torah in the Hebrew means instruction. It means literally to point out, to teach. And I hope that you've begun to see that in the exposition of God's law as I've been trying to lead you through it in these uh, Studies that the law of God is full of positive teaching. It's an instruction. Not just a don't do and do do. No, God is enlarging this whole 
teaching subject, as he teaches in the law, the things that are for our good. It's not a burdensome law. It's not a restrictive code. But it is God's instruction to show us what is now the pathway that leads to ultimate happiness. Now, obviously, that's no more what we can do as we are fallen creatures. But before the fall, this was the only way that led to happiness, the law of God. That still is the only way. Obedience is the only way that we will be ultimately the joyful creatures that God created us to be. And now it's not anymore to our law keeping. Bless the Lord, he's given his son Jesus Christ to be the law keeper for the law breaker. And that's, however, still where the law is going to be the pathway. So listen to Jesus pleading then. Proverbs 3, verse 1 and 2. My son, forget not my law, Torah. Not just Ten Commandments. But let thine heart keep my commandments for length of days and long life, and peace shall they add unto thee. Beautiful. Right? This is what God says. You listen to me. You follow me. You trust me. And you will have the joys that paradise had. Length of days. Long life. Peace. And the Lord Jesus is still teaching that. But then he enlarges it, of course, by his own ministry. And as you listen to John 10, verse... um, I am... Where is it? I am the door. I am come. Here it is. Verse 10. John 10, 10. I am come that they might have life. And that they might have it more abundantly. There is so much in that phrase, I won't expound it. But you can feel that, right? This is not life, but life more abundantly. Life of communion. Life of peace. Life of joy. Life of purity. Life of honor. Life of respect. I don't have to expound those words. We all know that those are words that make life beautiful. And so if you experience God's law, I said it already as a irksome and negative, you are still in the hands of darkness. Everyone that is born again will agree with the Apostle Paul in Romans seven twelve. Where he says, wherefore the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. When Jesus lives in your heart, the law is loved in all its details. Even if it is against you. The law becomes more important. than what you liked or what you might still like. In our evil nature, we still have a love for sin. Even the regenerate, absolutely. 
That old man is there. But when Jesus lives in you, we will begin to love the law of God in its detail. We will have a hunger to live the law like Jesus lived it. Examine yourself for a moment on that. If the Spirit of God lives in you, you have one great desire, to live like Jesus lived. See, that's the essence of a converted heart. Sometimes you think we need to be able to tell a big, long story about it. But really, big, long stories can be very beautiful if it's a real story. But when it comes down to it, Cotton Mather summed up all of the work of God. He says the entire work of God is to again enthrone God in the heart of a sinner. And where in your heart you desire to bow down every part of you. You can't do it, but your desire is there. Unto that throne of God and say, Lord, not my will, but thy will be done. And you are converted. Because that is not found. In the heart of anyone that is unregenerate. Then it is my will be done. And so friends, if God has made your heart willing to love and to live the law of God, you are Jesus' workmanship already. And then is the comfort there for you today. As Paul writes of the Philippians, we may be confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you, he will finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. He will put all the finishing touches on it. So that one day we will attain to the desire and the hunger of our heart to live out the glory of our Creator. And then all will sing hallelujah. Praise Jehovah. Now, let us give our attention now to the Torah of the fifth commandment. Honor your father and your mother. Honor your wife. Oh, I said that wrong, didn't I? Honor your husband. No, no. It's also wife. We'll see that from the scriptures later. Honor your government, even the one that sat on the throne in Rome when Paul wrote Romans 13. That wasn't a godly government. It might have been Nero sitting there. It was a Pilate type of figure. Honor them, Paul read, as we read. So the fifth commandment. And when we honor the authority structures God has given us in the Holy Scriptures, we will experience the blessing in the land, in the family, in the church, in your own personal life, that he has promised that he will prolong our days in the land in which we live. Now, before we look at the fifth commandment and the authority structure, I want to take you to Matthew 28 for a moment. Let's turn there. 
And keep in mind what we read also from 1 Corinthians 15. The preface of the fifth commandment is that the authority that God is speaking about in the structures in the fifth commandment ultimately comes from God, correct? God is the authority here. He speaks and it is done. He commands and it is done. There is no, no arguing with him. He is the authority. He is the creator, the owner in the universe. He wrote his law. He is the legislator of everything. And he has every right to do so. So God is the authority. The almighty triune being. But read with me. What Jesus says in verse 18 of chapter 28. Jesus came and spake and the Dharma and said, All power is given unto me in heaven and earth. All power, the word power is the Greek word authority. All authority is given me in heaven and on earth. And I want you to go out and you want to go teach. One way you tell these people about my gospel, about my kingship, and teach them, and in verse 20, teach them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. Now notice the train of authority here. Jesus was. Given authority. He didn't have it before. God has it. And he gave it to Jesus. We're going to look tonight and the next week at others who were given delegated authority. Husbands, fathers, Teachers, governors, but forget not, Jesus has received delegated authority. And 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, there comes a moment he is going to give it back to his father at the end. He has a period, you might call it, in which he has all the authority in heaven and earth until the end comes, as Paul pointed out in 1 Corinthians 15. So, mind you, when Jesus is ruling over heaven and earth, he does so on behalf of his Father, or rather, of the triune God. As the Son of Man, He has been given the authority and he is therefore the prince of the world. And notice therefore he is correct when he says in verse 20, Now go teach them everything I command you. Not what God commands. What I command. Children, are you listening? For a moment. Jesus was given authority. He's a son of man. He's given a name above all names, above all the angels, and above all the saints, above everybody. He is the highest authority. Higher is God himself. He's under it. And then he commands, having authority. That happens at home too. God is the highest authority. Jesus is the next. And then comes home. That's father and mother. 
And they can also command. Not everything. Everything they command has to be in line with the one who stands above them. And above him. God, Jesus, Father. So this whole authority structure even applies to the king of all kings, Jesus Christ himself. He is the prince of the world. We heard that every Sunday night. As I stand here in the name of Jesus and I lay the blessing on you, the last phrase is, and he is the prince of all the kings of the earth. What does that mean? That means he's king of New Zealand. Yeah, he is. That means he's king and mayor of Carleton and Masterton. Yeah, he is. That means he's king of this church. Yes, he is. That means he's your king. My king. I want you to stop to think for a moment. Do I think every day about my king and how I am honoring him, listening to him, seeking what he wants me to do, seeking to live what he wants me to live? Are we living in the awareness that he is your king? Your king. Don't say just only for God's people. Uh -uh, Uh-uh. Uh-uh. Not true. He's king of everyone who sits in the pew here. And everyone that doesn't sit in the pew here tonight. He's your king. And mind you, we're going to have to stand before our king. One day, Paul writes it, that we come at the end of our lives... And the journey is over. Let me just read the verse out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We'll all stand before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he has done, whether it be good and evil. Congregation. Boys and girls, fellow friends, fathers, mothers, we will stand before Jesus and he will have all the time in the world to go back to every day. He says every word, every word. That seems impossible, Lord. I'm going to believe him. Every word will be weighed against the law of God. Every word. Every thought. You will stand there by yourself. There will be nobody there to advocate for you. You will stand face to face with him who has been given all authority in heaven and earth. Who has been ruling you who has been caring for you, who has been serving you. Now, now mind you, this is your king. He has been taking care of you and me. That's his assignment. 
Just as I have an assignment over my children as a father, so he has an assignment over this earth. He's been taking care of you every day. He's been pursuing you and pinching your conscience and reminding you. He's been calling you. He's been offering himself to you. He's been running after you. And then we'll stand before him. And mind you, when we stand before him, then he will be a merciless judge. There is no more mercy then. Then Jesus Christ will lay down and end his call and offer of the Bible and will stand before him who will and cannot pardon us any more if we have waited till that day. That's a solemn thought, isn't it? And I know there's some of you who think, oh, no, well, that's, uh, we'll, wait, we'll wait till that day comes. Oh, don't be such an utter fool to think that. Then let me hear what Jesus speaks and what he will do on that day. And that is solemn. He says in Proverbs 21, verse 23, Turn you at my reproof. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. That's his promise now. I will make known my words unto you. And then it goes on to that part all the way to the end, and that's a fearsome portion. Because I called, you refused. I stretched out my hand, you refused. You didn't regard. I've said at not all your, you've said at not all my counsel. You laughed off my reproofs. You shrugged your shoulder. You went on your merry way. And you kept on laughing the whole week through. And then I will laugh, he says. I will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. And your fear comes as desolation. Your destruction comes like a tornado. And when distress and anguish come upon you, then you will pray. Then you will call upon me. And then I will not answer any longer. You'll seek me early. But you shall not find me. Why? You hated knowledge. You did not choose to fear me. You would none of my counsel. You reproved my reproof. You despised my reproof. You shall eat of the fruit of your own way. You shall be filled with the fruit of your own devices. But whoso hearkens to me, he shall dwell safely in the shallow quiet of the fear of evil. This is Jesus speaking to us tonight. Come, beloved. We would be a total fool not to hearken. Let's sing together. Psalter 4, verse 4. Be wise, ye rulers. Be wise, ye people. Be wise, ye children of the earth. 
and serve the Lord with godly fear. Psalm 4, verse 4. Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. I read from our catechism, question 104, what does God require in the fifth commandment? That I show all honor, love, and fidelity to my father and my mother, and all in authority over me, and submit myself to their good instruction and correction with due obedience and also patiently bear with their weaknesses and infirmities, since it pleases God to govern us by their hand. Now, this is only a very small exposition of the Lord's Day, uh, commandment number five. I know if you remember the readings of our Westminster Confession, which is written much later than this, the Heidelberg Catechism sadly omitted a huge part of the fifth commandment. It only speaks about those who are governed but it doesn't speak about those who are governing. And the later confessions and catechisms, particularly Westminster, has really gladly expanded that correctly. And indeed, therefore, there's so much to this fifth commandment that uh, we will indeed let the scriptures guide us in to explore this. Tonight, I'd like to summarize the fifth commandment with from God's perspective. What is God saying to us in the fifth commandment? He says, honor my authority. If you think about the first one, remember, love me only, trust me only. God is saying in his commandment, secondly, worship me honorably. In the third, reflect me honorably. In the fourth, remember the day I have set aside for you and me. The fourth and the fifth one is honor my authority. When we come to the sixth one, thou shalt not kill, means honor my creatures. Don't you touch them. When it comes to the seventh, thou shalt not commit adultery, he says, honor you, that marital union I have designed, and don't you intrude on that, and don't you break that. It is from God's perspective we need to read the law. And it is for our good that he tells us to honor his authority. And therefore, in the first place, we are to think about that from our perspective, who are to exercise authority. Yeah, those who are fathers or mothers or any other authority. And secondly, we are to consider 
honor my authority as you respond to it. So let's just briefly look at those. Honor my authority as you exercise it. Now, that, that, that addresses a father, that addresses, a, first of all, a husband. Let's begin there. I have the authority over Michelle, my wife, here. I'm not having any authority over any other woman. That's not my authority. She is mine. Authority. I have authority over my eight, nine children. Kim is not really my child, but we conclude her then. It's nine, right? So we have nine children. Those are my authority. I don't have any authority over your kids. Those are yours. So we can go down to all those authority positions, or positions of authority that we have together. So we have to think about that. And what we often do not remember, or what we should remember, is who are we really in that position of authority? Who are we then? We often operate in an ownership mode. Though we don't say it, we often think or operate about this wife or these children or these students or these animals, they belong to me. That's called the ownership mode. Wrong. You know that's wrong. But we think it, don't we? So this is where we need to begin our addressing our own thinking. We don't own anyone. They belong to us only in the sense of that God has given me the stewardship. That's the only way they belong to me. But I don't own any. I'm a steward, and it sounds perhaps odd, but even Jesus is a steward over this earth. He was given that authority to rule on behalf of his God as well. And if we are in the ownership mode as a husband or as a parent, We often are motivated in our thinking by what we want. What we like to get out of them. As a father, I want to be respected by them. As a owner, I want to be benefited by them or it, whatever I own. I am thinking that way. I'm motivated that what can I get they need to give to me and congregation and friends. If that is the way that I operate, the battle becomes now between me and them. Or me and her, if that's my wife. Because I feel like I'm entitled owner. And the battle is between them and me. Think about this. And this is where often we lose our awareness of the fact that the battle is not between them and us. The battle is between them and God. And I'm standing in between that. I'm standing just in between that. 
as the what? And that comes to the right word for us to think about. I am given an ambassadorial authority. As a parent, as a husband, as a governor, we have ambassadorial authority. As a farmer, you have ambassadorial authority over your animals and over your land. And as a teacher and as a parent. What does that mean, ambassadorial authority? It means it's a delegated authority. We're not operating on what my plans, what my likes, and what my demands are, but we are to carry out the will and the plan and the demands and, the, and, and the, all the instructions of him who sends me to be his ambassador. I'm not here to preach to you what I think. I'm here to preach what God says. That's all. And the battle is not between the pastor and the congregation. The battle is between you and God. You can reject me, but you don't reject me. You reject him who sent me. The word is least that I bring. That's how I should say. You're not rejecting my word. You're wrecking the words of the Almighty who has sent me as an ambassador. So I need to be reminding myself. Any member that seems to be rejecting the word is not rejecting me. You're rejecting him who sent me. And of course, that has implications as a child, as a wife, as a husband, as a student, or as a minister. All of us have this to think about this. And so let's think as an ambassador, we are to faithfully represent the message, The method, the character, and the authority of him that sent you. Now, as I was pondering about this, I was thinking about Jesus. How does he exercise his authority that he received from God? He also imitates God in his authority, doesn't he? He uses the method. He brings the message. He he, he represents the the will of his sender. And he carries out that will on the earth. And that's the only thing he does. The will of God that he brings. And he obviously brings that in his teaching. And so are we. We are placed on earth at this time in your place to do one thing. Whatever your position is, it is the will of God as an ambassador in our position. Now let's take that along this week. And let's challenge ourselves to think in every conflict I have. Is this between me and them? Or is this conflict I am representing God? And this child or this person or this animal. And I'm standing in between those two. That's an ambassador. So let's let's ask ourselves, what is the focus? Why am I using my authority? Is it what I can get out of this? Parenting, if I just limit it to that, is not what we want for and what we want from our children. That's the wrong focus. 
Parenting is what is God in His grace and power going to do through me as I do my task as a parent or as a father or as a husband. What is God going to do through me? I'm His instrument. I'm His ambassador. I'm His tool. Now you can feel as I think this through, right, that we better start on our knees at the beginning of every morning. Lord, as I begin this task today again to be thy ambassador in the authority I have, oh, keep me close to thee, keep me looking at thee, keep me remembering that I am to reflect thy method, thy message, thy character as the ambassadorial representative in the position I'm given. And it's important to remember that as an authority figure, as an ambassador, I have no power to change the heart of any behavior. And that is the heart. we got no power to change the heart. Our children come out of the womb screaming, I am king, from the day they're born. It's an authority battle. It is a fifth commandment battle. Yeah? And we got no power to change that kid's heart. Don't think you can educate your child in compliance or obedience. You cannot. That is God's work alone. We're dealing with people that are lost unless regenerated. It is important to remember that children are not just disobedient. Or they're not just disrespectful. Or they're not just lazy. Or they are not just proud. No, no. They are disobedient because they are lost children. They are disrespectful because they're lost children. They are lazy because they're lost children. They are foolish in their choices because they're lost children if they're not saved. And if the Holy Spirit does not bless us and the words we teach them, we will not change an iota of what motorizes these kids. Or adults, which is an evil heart. We gotta keep that in mind. So that battle is not between them disrespecting me. That battle is their heart is lost and therefore disrespects God and everybody else who lo- who comes underneath them. And what an incredible opportunities we get. And I lost as well. To walk into those situations, not with the law, but with the gospel. For the law will never change a heart. Paul writes, the law is powerless to change the heart. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how much or how Little 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ is in our daily, momentarily interactions with those underneath us in authority. That's a question for you and me. Let's sing together first. So the 392 verse 1. Blessed be the Lord, my rock, my might, my constant helper in the fight. Now think about parenting. Think about leading children. Think about leading adults. The fight, the fight. My shield, thou art, my righteousness, my strong high tower. And what follows in verse 1. Let's conclude this first point and leave the second one for next week to take up. But what is now God's will for us who has been given the authority over others? Think of yourself, if you're a husband, if you're a father or mother, or if you are a teacher, or you are an employer, you have people working for you. All those are positions of authority. And what is now God's will, congregation, that when I have been given this authority, I've been given this? Just as Jesus was given it, so I was given the authority. What is God's will? Remember last week, Genesis 1, when God gave us the dominion over all the earth? That the next verse was, and he made us in his image. So when we carry out authority, we are to reflect him in how he does it. In all my actions, in all my reactions as an authority figure, God says, honor me. Yeah, that's exactly what the fifth commandment says. Honor me. In how you exercise authority and the second half, how you also respond to authority. But you see, when my child is not obeying my authority, I need to ask myself first, am I obeying authority? First of all. That's what we also forget. That we often forget. And we're having a big cow about our kid. I wonder what he thinks about me at that moment. 
So let me just lay a few questions in front of you. If God called me to govern a portion of life on earth through my hand, right? This is what I said. God called me to govern a little slice of earth through me. It's not giving me all the world. That's the only gave that to Jesus because that's only what he could do because he's God as well. Now, you and I only get a little slice. Family, whatever it may be. Am I respectful of the dignity of the persons that I govern? Or am I shredding them? With the way I speak. Yeah, but they're... No, no, I'm not talking about how they speak. We're going to listen to how I speak as an authority figure. Am I shredding them? Let no corrupting communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the building up, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Is that how my parenting, how my husband's authority is exercised? Am I patiently bearing in mind their infirmities? I'm sure, God, that my Jesus is not like I am to my kids. I forget that they're kids. Oh, that's when I had all of them at home. But he never forgets that I am a sinner. That I am full of infirmity. That with my best intentions, I fail every day. He never forgets. But we forget, don't we? Am I patiently bearing with their spiritual blindness? You know, you can be mad and you can be hopping mad with, the, with one of your children. But don't forget, they don't see like you see it. Why not? They may be spiritually blind. You're talking to a blind person. They're lost. Their heart is hard. Sin and Satan is their king. And you're trying to tell them to behave. They can't. Now, there's no excuse, but just reality. You can't talk them into good behavior either. Their heart needs to be changed. Before anything is going to change that behavior. We, 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 we confess it. I don't think we really believe it. I mean, I remember in one of my teacher's conferences, I had a parent coming to me who didn't go to our church. And they say, Pastor, your church, you people believe in total depravity, don't you? He says, yeah, we believe that's according to the Bible. I said, well, your parents don't believe that at all. He says, no, how do you get that? Oh, their kids are always angels. They never do anything wrong. Oh. Congregation, I'm going to ask you, how often do I really believe what we confess in our catechism that my children are prone to hate God and their neighbor? That means they only love themselves. And that comes out every day, unless they're regenerated. And even then, it may come out. So am I forgetting that? Am I engaging them with grace? With gentleness, 
motivated with compassion. I like to think about that word, compassion. If you study the Gospels of Jesus and you find every passage that speaks about compassion, you'd be surprised. That seems to be the main emotional drive of Jesus. He's filled with compassion, not anger, when he deals with the sinful people that hurt him, that disrespect him, that dishonor him. He is filled with compassion. And that was noticeable. Is that what I'm like? And you know, why is Jesus like that? For God sent not his son into this world to condemn this world. That God sent his son to save the world. Why? His heart was filled with compassion. And Jesus represents it as an authority, didn't he? still does. Am I just without being judgmental? Oh, we have to be just, fair according to the scripture, but not judgmental and making all kinds of decisions and conclusions about things we don't know anything about. Am I ruled by the law of kindness? Kindness. One of those beautiful words that describes God. He is kind. Kindness. It's everything I do laced with kindness. Even when I need to confront my child or confront my wife if needs to be. Or anyone else that I have under my authority. Is a kindness. Am I approaching them with a readiness to condemn or with the readiness to save them from the sin that they're doing. You see the difference? I come there, or I come there, oh child. You are so caught in sin. Let's talk about this. That compassion, that gentleness, that readiness to show their love to seek to bring them away from the sin that they're in? Am I realizing that in my position as a king, I don't have the right to have them serve me? But that I am given the authority to serve them in the name of him. That's how the parent is. That's what I am to do to my wife. I am not anything else but her servant for Christ's sake. That is what my task is. And yours, husbands. And as a father. And as a mother. As a husband. Am I committed to learn how to lead and how to love and how to Guide my wife as Jesus Christ did for his bride. As parents, am I ready to learn how parents, how God parents his rebellious children so that I may win their hearts rather than to provoke them to anger? That's what parenting is, right? Don't provoke the children to anger. 
Instead, win their heart. How? Yeah, Lord, teach me that. Study Jesus how he does that. For we are representing him as our ambassador. So congregation ambassadorial authority calls for a serious self-reflection today. We all know where at times we go as husbands and parents we're filled with impatience and anger boils and our face shows it and our, uh, our, our decibels go up and we face situations without love and without grace and without gentleness and without humility and without godliness and you'd be ashamed if anybody would see you then. But somebody does see you. And somebody does hear you. And somebody notices that you are not representing him as you were given the task as the authority. So let's walk with that thought in mind. For when we are so filled with impatience and anger, and yes, we're all sinners, we know that. But what propels us in those moments is ourself rather than God, how can I redeem this moment with grace? That needs to be our focus. And therefore, as we conclude, I remind you again of what I noted to you last week. After the Apostle Paul has expounded in Ephesians 5, the fifth commandment, as husbands and wives and children and masses and servants, then he directs us, take up the whole armor of God, because you're not fighting against flesh and blood. You're not fighting against children and students. You're not fighting against rebellious wives. You're fighting against Satan. And yes, sometimes Satan indeed uses our spouse or our child or our students and hides in them. And beloved, Jesus did not say, take the warfare weapons of fear and shame and belittling and manipulation and emotional blackmail and self-pity and violence and control and the silent treatment and contempt and abuse. None of those are listed in this chapter. When we fight a battle, we fight it by taking upon us the truth, the word of God, feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Oh God, I need to pray him because oftentimes when I approach those situations, my feet are running in the devil's shoes and not in Jesus' shoes. You feel that? Have your feet shot with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Wow. May God bless these words. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, we confess before thee tonight our many, many sins. 
as the ambassadors of the authority that thou hast given us as husbands, as fathers, mothers, teachers, or any other positions of authority, Lord, even over a portion of the creation, the land we live in, the animals we we heard and we care of, care for. We ask thee for forgiveness tonight and conviction. For God, if we, we don't handle the authority thou hast handed us with the grace and the compassion, with the love and the gentleness, as we were pointed out tonight. O Almighty, forgive thou us and teach us all over every day. Every day we need thee, every hour we need thee to fight these battles against Satan in the heart of ourselves, in the heart of our those that we care for. And lead. So hear us and guide us in this week, Lord, as we go forth again in the task that we have and keep us all safe and well, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.